This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. I have always thought it must be tough to be a preacher's kid. But how much more tough it must be to be a famous preacher's kid or even beyond that, part of a famous ministry family. It's got to be difficult to withstand the pressure and people's expectations and even the sense that you have a responsibility to carry on what really amounts to a family business. Now, imagine how much more difficult it would be to be part of a prosperity gospel family, a really famous one built on a message that made you fabulously wealthy. That's the situation for my next guest, Pastor and author Costi Hinn. Now, Costi is the nephew of the famous prosperity gospel proponent, Benny Hinn. He's also son of Henry Hinn, who's the senior founding pastor of Vancouver Christian Center and participant in many Benny Hinn crusades, and Costi joined him in that. But the Lord had other plans for Costi, plans for him to embrace the true gospel of Jesus Christ and leave behind the lies of the prosperity gospel. And he tells this incredible story of God's grace in his new book, God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, How Truth Overwhelms a Life, Built on Lies. And Costi, it's really great to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here, Janet. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my honor. And, you know, you were immersed in this, as you talk about in your book, for quite a while, the Prosperity Gospel Crusade Ministry, the church life. And this all started, you talk about this, when your Uncle Benny went to a prayer meeting in Toronto. And I bet a lot of people who know of your uncle don't really know the backstory. How did that all unfold when he went to that first prayer meeting? Yeah, so my family, the roots are in the Middle East, and they were immigrants. My uncle, my father, my grandfather, grandmother, of course, and uh, ended up having eight kids. So I have eight, six uncles and two aunts, and they moved to Toronto, Canada. And at that time, my uncle, who was a, a sort of outcast, in even in the family, um, there were concerns, as in many Middle Eastern families, the oldest son is supposed to be strong and independent and go on to... Uh, work a job and be successful and carry on the family name. Well, my grandfather was uh, a little tougher on my uncle because he had some concerns about him. Uh, my uncle was more recluse and um, and and in, in some ways just, just seemed weaker. And so they were tough on him. Well, eventually they go to school and there's this group who is really accepting and kind to my uncle. And they... Uh, invited them to a prayer meeting, and there was people speaking in tongues, and they were uh, trying to have experiences where uh, they, you know, see God and have visions and experience the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that was really the seed that was planted early on for that branch of of evangelicalism or of Christianity, which, you know, uh, charismatic or Pentecostal beliefs. And so he goes down that road and eventually ends up meeting other people, meeting other friends, and getting linked up to go to a Catherine Coleman service. And when he's there, uh, this is in the late 70s, he has this experience where he sees her, and she's talking about the Holy Spirit, and she's wearing her white dress, and the crowd is packed, and it's in Pittsburgh, and he is there, and 
he sees what he wants to do forever. And he's told us this story. He's told the story to, of course, many people now over the years, um, that that is what he believes he's supposed to do. He wants to be that. And that sends him and subsequently the rest of the Hinn family, many of the brothers who jump on board with him, onto this trajectory that is set on being faith healers, and eventually that merges into prosperity preachers. And so the big influences on our family legacy in our lives was Catherine Coleman, uh, Oral Roberts, Kenneth Hagen, uh, William Branham, and many others who throughout the middle to late uh, 1900s were these larger-than-life figures yes. who were growing in popularity and growing in wealth. And we wanted to be that, too. Yeah. Now, if you were to define the prosperity gospel, I'm sure there are many people in the audience who already know what it is. But those who might be tuning in for the first time and saying, I'm not really even sure what that is. I know some of those names you're talking about. How would you define the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, as it were, that has been embraced by not only your Uncle Benny Hinn, but also other members of your family and you for a time? I would define it in the simplest terms as believing in Jesus Christ and following him will result in you being healthy, wealthy, and happy. And a lot, there's some big name preachers that call this living your best life now. I've heard this that. Idea, <laughs> yeah. This, this idea that um, Jesus died to save your sins, yes, and give you eternity in heaven, yes, but he's more like a, a cosmic banker, and the riches of heaven are unlocked onto your life on earth if you just believe and do X, Y, Z. So it's gospel plus, and you're supposed to get wealthy from it and healthy and happy. Yeah, well, and you guys did. You talk about some of the opulence in what you lived in, the Mercedes Benzes and the expensive mansions and all the fancy hotels around the world. And growing up, of course, you're a kid. You don't know up from down. Like a lot of us, when we're little, we just kind of accept what our family tells us and what we're doing Mm -hmm. in life. What kind of effect do you think that kind of you know, opulence had on you because your father also started a church. He got on board with your uncle and you kind of were immersed in this world for quite a while. What of the health and the wealth? I mean, did you just buy into it whole hog or did you just not give it much thought? As a young guy, I bought into it whole hog, like you said, because it was so wonderful in the, in the human sense. You have all these wonderful things. You have access to all these great people. There's people serving us. We had servants. We had multiple homes. We had um, celebrities coming and asking us to pray for them so that they could have God's favor and God's blessing on their careers, their businesses. We had professional athletes that would come around us to get the anointing so they could have better athletic seasons. It was this almost, uh, uh, you know, paparazzi buzz around. And so as a kid, you're Uh, enamored with your dad as a hero, your uncle, and you view them as faith leaders in the world. And so anytime that the media or someone else would put out a negative report and we'd see it, we would repeat what we were taught, which is, oh, that's just the devil attacking us. That's just the world. They're just jealous. Those are those dead churches, and we would often say those Baptists and Lutherans and Presbyterians and all, all those dead denominations that don't have the Spirit they're just coming against us because they're jealous that we have the power and the anointing and they don't. Wow. So I was completely, if you were to say, you know, in, in the sense that we have ethnocentrism, that was 
how we viewed our family. We were the center of the world. Our name and our heritage were above everybody else's. Wow. And you did you see yourself as the most blessed because you had so much in the way of wealth? Yes, absolutely. We thought that we were the middleman, like the priest in the Old Testament. God was unlocking favor and blessing upon us, and we played mediator with the peoples. Mm. We were at crusades or everywhere else. You know, as a young man, I viewed our family as the conduit through which people would access the wealth and health and riches and blessings and, and happiness or approval of God. And so we were, in my mind, noble. We were the best of the best, and we were like the royal family. And so that's kind of my thinking, and it was arrogant. And even in the book, one of the chapters, uh, I called it anointed and arrogant for a reason, because uh, that's really... Uh, a good description of how we acted. Well, do you think there was any sense in which your uncle pursued this? Because you say in the book, he was determined to make something of himself, but your grandfather had told him, out of all my children, you won't make it. How much of that desire to make it do you think played into his decision to go in that direction theologically? Now, as a grown man, along with you know many other people, as we analyze the landscape of our family and what we've become, having a son now, two sons myself, and having, I I am a son, I see the impact that the words of a father have on a young man's heart. And I, this would be personal, it'd be speculative, um, in that, you know, maybe my uncle would discard that or say, no, that's not true all the way, or it influenced me a bit. But we've had lots of family discussions where uh, ultimately, it did impact him. Well, he was you, determined to prove people wrong. Boy, well, Costi Hinn is with us. We're going to come back after this break. God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel is the book. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom, thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. And now through a match, your gift is doubled. All gifts are tax-deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a health care program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new health care program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit health care sharing ministry that offers affordable health care sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families 
offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Thank you so much for joining us. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've heard that verse many, many times. Costi Hinn has an incredible testimony. He's joining us this hour to talk about his new book called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, How Truth Overwhelms a Life Built on Lies. And we were talking before the break, Costi, about your uncle, Benny Hinn. Many people will know Benny Hinn, one of the most famous and wealthy preachers in all of the world. And you were telling a little bit about your family background and how you got started. Now, you were serving your Uncle Benny's ministry as a catcher and a personal assistant. And I'm sure for a lot of people who've seen at least videos of the Crusades, it's quite the show. And I'm curious what that was like to be a catcher and explain for people what that is, where people were slain in the spirit, supposedly. Yeah, the experience is like little else we see uh, in the Christian world or so-called Christian world. It was very grand, and we had a massive choir, the best musicians around. You'd hire them. And the entire thing was supposed to create an atmosphere for healing and build the expectation of the crowd in order to see people healed, set free, you know, uh, people having devils or demons cast out of them. I mean, it was all directed at this touch from God that was guaranteed to happen. And so every service element was built to get to that place where people would feel the anointing and they would be slain in the Spirit, have some incredible experience, and then we would televise that and show everyone and say, look, you, you can come and have this too. Right. So, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of desperate people would come to these crusades. I know you talked about uh, Mumbai, for example, where you had just 800, what was it, 800,000 to a million people coming to the crusade. I mean, tons and tons of people really went, went to these crusades and wanted to have some hope and were desperately reaching out. But, you know, the, the flip side of that is many people pointed out some of the stuff that was done from the stage was to a lot of people who weren't there. They'd say, well, that's weird. Why is Benny Hinn taking his coat and swinging it at people? I mean, wh- wh- yeah. where did that even come from? Do you even know why did that begin and what was that supposed to be about? Yeah, so in the Old Testament, if, if you're not familiar, um, go look it up if you're listening to this. But in the Old Testament, there's this story, and there's two men, Elijah and Elisha. And uh, Elijah's got the, the anointed office of prophet, and he's moving in power, and his life is impacting, and God's clearly with him. And then Elisha, sort of an apprentice, I'll, I'll, I'll say this all in layman's terms, comes along and says, you know, I want to, can I have a double portion? I want a double portion of your, your anointing or your ministry. And so Elijah throws his mantle on him, and supposedly the mantle is anointed, this cloak. And so that's, and when I say supposedly, I don't mean in the Bible, it, you know, Elijah was anointed and Elisha was, but I mean, my uncle takes that and, and views it as his jacket or his mantle that is on his life is anointed. Yeah. And so he takes that mantle 
and he swings it or hits it or puts it on other people, and they receive his anointing and favor. So it's a a modern-day 2019 version. Um, The only thing is when we would go suit shopping, we would buy you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar custom suits. And mm. I'm not trying to be funny here. I am saying that is very different than the cloak that Elijah was wearing. Yeah, um, right. We were just putting on a show. Well, right, and especially you're equating yourself, right or wrong, with Elijah. I mean that that takes a certain level of confidence, to say the least. Absolutely, and we were very focused on ourselves and on what we had and what we did, but that's the way that you elevate yourself in front of people. And that's the way that you convince desperate people to believe you have something they need. Otherwise, nobody would be giving the offerings. Nobody would be following. There wasn't, there wouldn't be this mass hysteria if you didn't convince people in their mind and have some sort of evidence that you were a messenger of God. Yeah. When you were at the Crusades, did you ever have any doubts about the veracity of the healing claims? Did you see miraculous healings? Did you see things that made you doubt? What was your perspective looking back? Yeah, Janet, you mentioned India. Um, They leased acres upon acres of land for um, for that crusade. And I'll share an experience there was a point where my father, who was working that crusade, let me. I kept asking him, can I go down with you? Can I go down with you? I was on the stage. And he said, okay, that's fine. So I go down. I'm about 19 years old at this time. And I'm working with and for my uncle. I'm supposed to be apprenticing and learning uh, in a Middle Eastern family. I'm the oldest uh, hen in the next generation. So I'm supposed to, again, I'm kind of like the Elisha. I'm supposed to carry on. Uh, the anointing when I get older and am deployed by the ministry. So I'm there and working, and my dad lets me down there, and we go down into the area where the sick are. And I remember this moment. It, it was like one of those war movies where Hollywood has the camera and it's moving really fast, and there's there's blood and there's screaming and there's bullets flying. It's mayhem. And I remember in my mind, that's what that moment was like. <laughs> there was sick children sick people. There were people in the dirt. There were people on stretchers. There were people crying out. There were real sicknesses, the kind that you don't often see in that amount of uh, quantity at these U.S. crusades where my uncle would be. It would be people in wheelchairs, but this was real. These people didn't have access to a lot of the medical technologies that we do here. They were the poorest of the poor. And I was looking and my heart was shattering because I I thought, well, let's just get them healed. Come on. And I remember looking up and looking back now, I know why I had this moment. The Lord seared it in my mind. I mean, I, I can visualize it even now. I looked back at the stage and if there was ever a visual that made me question more than ever, it was looking up at the stage. There were three metal barricades between us and the stage. My uncle was up there singing in this perfectly pure and clean white suit. And we're down there. And it was a contrast that seared in my mind. The sick and the hurting were not getting what we promised. Meanwhile, we were staying in the nicest hotel in Mumbai. We had flown in on a Gulfstream jet, and we were just going to go back to wherever and live the high life. That really started to stir questions in me. But again, I would push them aside because I was always taught, don't question, 
Don't Touch the Lord's Anointed, and then, of course, that we were blessed to be a blessing, so we shouldn't be guilty about that. God is in charge of healing those people, not us. And then we would really justify it by saying, you know, we're not in charge of all that, even though we promised he would heal them. Oh, boy, that that's incredible. Sometimes the visual can jar you more than somebody saying something. That that must have mm-hmm. been an incredible sight. And I mean, this is one of the criticisms people have leveled against the prosperity gospel preachers for a long time, which is if you really want people healed, why don't you go down to the local hospital? Why don't why do you have yeah. to have a crusade and take offerings out of the goodness of your heart and loving Jesus? Why don't you just go down and start laying hands on little kids with cancer and people who are struggling with heart problems. You could do it today. That's right. And when we see the ministry of Christ and the apostles, which we, of course, claim to simply be an extension of, the the results are incredible. They're going around and they're healing at will. They're speaking just one word. There's no show. There's no fanfare. They're just saying, you know, remember uh, Peter, silver and gold have I none. That which I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Yes. They were just healing with this amazing power, and we're, that's not what we were doing at all. Yeah. I'm curious, Costi, how much did you read the Bible during those years? Did you spend much time in Bible study? Was there a lot of Bible study behind the scenes with the whole crusade crowd? What's really funny is the answer is absolutely yes. I read my Bible. I understood the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that believing in him by faith, uh, was the way to be saved. I understood the grace of God, or at least mentally made a, a mental assertion of it. It's incredible how blind we were. Hmm. And that is what's scary, and that's why even the book and any any effort now is realizing, like many of you who are listening, and of course you, Janet, like we know as believers, there is a blindness and a deception that is over people, and only God can set them free, and the only thing that will set them free is the true gospel. Yes. So, what? yeah, I read the Bible. I read it at night. I wrote my prayer journals. I would get on my knees and pray to the Lord. I would seek Him, but I was believing in and seeking after and under the blindness of a false gospel and not the true Jesus that I know now. Wow. Well, and pretty much your world was confined to the prosperity gospel folks, right? Because it's a bit of a club. I don't know if I want to say club necessarily, but you talked about, you know, all these prosperity gospel people kind of interacted with each other. So, I mean, it sounds like you didn't even have a lot of input outside those circles at that time. No. And we were well sheltered. And anytime somebody from the outside had criticisms or we were lightly exposed, like if the news media did a report or if, um, you know, there was this guy on the radio back then when I was a kid. I didn't know all the details, but he was called the Bible Answer Man. Oh, yes. Of course, I, I grow up and I realized that, you know, you've got like Walter Martin or Hank Hanegraaff or some of these other guys that were doing these shows. Well, the Bible Answer Man would come on and my dad would literally like be spitting out Bible curses under his breath. Oh, saying, no. You know, God's going to judge these men. <laughs> Who are they to talk about me and my brother um, this is the devil. These are Pharisees. And so as a, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kid, I began to learn from being taught that Walter Martin, Hank Hanegra, any of these guys who get on the radio or anyone refuting us, you're just Pharisees. <laughs> We're like Jesus. And so it only served to further my roots in that sheltered movement. 
Isn't that interesting? And then the Lord intervened in your life, Costi. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to find out how that all happens. The name of Costi Hinn's book, God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back on Janet Meffer today. Great to have you here and great to have with us pastor and author Costi Hinn. He is the nephew of Benny Hinn. You know that name, no doubt. His book is called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, How Truth Overwhelms a Life Built on Lies. And we've been talking, Costi, about your background, going to your uncle's crusades, participating in those and being involved, your whole family. Uh, you know, your father was involved with the crusades and had his own church. And, and yet... And yet, you started to have some doubts about the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, as it were. And I thought it was kind of funny when I got to this point in the book, and you talked about finding a book in a Christian bookstore called The Confusing World of Benny Hinn. And I said, I have that book. It's right over there on my shelf. (laughs) So that was a turning point. Can you tell people what happened when you picked up that book and started to read it? Yeah, so there in the book, there's, there's a list. You could probably quantify five or six of these things that are, I call them only God moments. Um, this is one of them for sure. Uh, the confusing world of Benny Hinn by these guys out in the Midwest, who knows? And obviously I, I know where they are and what they do now, but um, I mean, there couldn't be a more direct indictment on, on my last name than that one. Yeah. So I'm reading this book and my goodness, I'm highlighting the, I remember my reading light is on and I'm just devouring it and I'm reading nonstop. And I, I didn't grow up in the world, sorry to say, of footnotes and evidence. You just don't back up things you say, you just keep on going. Yeah. And so here I come into this book and there's footnotes everywhere, or endnotes, and these guys are documenting what my uncle said and what the Bible says, <laughs> and what my uncle said and what the Bible says, and it messed me up. And I remember hiding it like it was some dirty secret that I had. <laughs> and that was a huge moment of clarity um, for for what was going on. But also, I, I, the wrestling match was still going on. And this is the, the, the process that I was in. Is um, In one sense, it was pretty much a slam dunk. On the other hand, these are still the Pharisees that we claimed were coming against us. Yes. So... Yeah, huge moment and forever thankful for, I still have that book on my shelf, forever thankful to those men who put in, you know, 
years of research to make sure that people could see the truth. Boy, and I bet if they had been told, you know, that Costi Hinn is going to read this book, they never would have believed it. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I sent them a thank you letter years oh, later. That's so cool. Well, and the, you also talked about your time at Dallas Baptist University and the effect that some of your mentors there had. How was that something that God used, your time there at DBU, to change you and move you in the direction of the true gospel? My baseball coach used to talk about the sovereignty of God. And we go for uh, a scrimmage one day. We're on the field. It's a hot Texas day. Yankee scout in the stands coming to see a couple of the players who were really good, and they went on to get drafted. A few of them end up in the big leagues. But everybody gets nervous when a scout shows up to a practice game scrimmage because if you play well when the scout's there to see someone else, you know, he'll write your name down. You might get on a list or whatever, and then you can get drafted for every baseball player. You know, that's the dream. So um, coach calls us all up and says, hey, don't worry about the scout. Don't worry about anything. God is sovereign, guys. Okay, Proverbs 21.1 says the heart of the king is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God controls kings. He controls scouts. He's in control of everything. So don't try to control everything. Just go out, play the game, have fun, relax. And I'm thinking what in the world is this guy talking about? Hmm. Sovereignty. You, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I've got this limited edition Breitling, you know, $10,000 watch in my locker. <laughs> I've got a Hummer out in the parking lot with big rims on it and TVs in the seats. And I'm thinking, I'll tell you something about sovereignty. I claim those things. I believe those things. And God gives me those things. If I want to get drafted, I'll just claim it and believe it, and it'll happen. You know, what is Coach talking about? Sovereignty. But that did something to me. It messed me up because my belief system was that I'm the puppet master. God is the puppet. Hmm. I speak it. He does it. And here's this guy quoting the Bible that God is in control, and you can't control him. He, you know, our God, Psalm, the psalmist wrote, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Right. Um, you see a sovereign God in the Bible. So I push it aside, move on with my life, but that ends up coming back to explode in my mind and in my life. God used it to transform my thinking some years later. Oh, yeah. And people have to read the book. It's such a great book, and I don't want to give away too much of it. People need to read the whole story. But when did it finally click for you? When do you look back and say, that was the moment that I finally trusted in Christ and embraced the true gospel, not the one of the prosperity gospel, but I really understood that I needed to be saved and that I was not the, the, the one directing God. He was, in fact, sovereign. I'm studying for a sermon several years ago. This is going to be about three or four years after uh, leaving DBU, um, three years later, actually, exactly. And sovereignty of God, right there, clear as day. I'm preaching a message on the healing at the pool of Bethesda. So I'm thinking, you know, slam dunk, I, me preaching on healing, I'm a, I'm a hint. So, well, <laughs> I'm studying. And the book has all the details. I don't want to bore everyone or bog everyone down. And, and, you know, I know maybe we can talk about more questions or things, but I'll, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. My pastor at the time, the teaching pastor, gives me a commentary to guide my study. And it's by a theologian who's highly conservative and been very faithful in his teaching ministry. And I pull this thing out because 
I'm reading the passage, and suddenly things start striking me that I never saw before. <laughs> Jesus at the pool of Bethesda, John 5, 1 through 17, he targets one man out of a multitude. One. Yeah. Not all. Yeah. One. And I'm thinking, that's weird. I thought you're supposed to heal everybody, Jesus. It's always your will, all the time. If people are sick, it's their own fault. No, maybe these people don't have enough faith. Well, moving on in the passage, I realize in looking, Jesus heals the man immediately. He says, arise, pick up your pallet, and walk. I'm thinking, wow, that's different. What what power, Lord? And there's no service, no music, no jacket, no fanfare, <laughs> nothing. You just healed with a word. Yeah. Then the man goes off, and he's carrying his pallet. And this still makes me laugh. The Pharisees see him go, who told you you can pick up your pallet and walk? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? You can't work. What are you doing? You know, they had all these laws that they had added, man-made um, burdens they were putting on people. Well, uh, the man doesn't even know who Jesus was, John records. So he says, the guy who healed me, you know, the man who healed me told me I could. Well, I have no way to quantify that. It crushes my belief system. It becomes the the dam in the crack of, or the crack in the dam of my theology. It, it starts to just crackle and burst forth, and I realize, oh my goodness, there's something here. Yeah. How did he get healed if he didn't even have faith or know who Jesus was? How did he have enough faith to get healed? Yeah. He didn't even know the man. Right. And so I grab this commentary, and the commentator goes off and says, here is Christ's sovereign healing power in action, that a man with no preconceived faith, no idea who he was, is healed. (laughs) That God would single out one man and heal him is a showcase of his sovereign power and authority, his compassion on this man. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, (laughs) this is different. And the commentator goes on to say that this is the, 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 the cruelest lie of faith healers today is that the people they fail to heal are guilty of negative confession and unbelief, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's essentially it, and that God is a sovereign healer, and I thought, that is what I believe. That's what I used to do. That's what my family and I, we, we, did, we do that. And I begin to weep and picture a domino falling, and it knocked another belief and another belief. I go on to study more things and realize more things, but it was in that moment, Janet, there in my study, as a pastor, in the office, crying, repenting of my sin, and vowing to preach the true gospel. That is awesome. We're going to pause for another quick break. Costi Hinn with us, God Greed in the Prosperity Gospel. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer Today. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. 
It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. What an incredible testimony from Costi Hinn. God greed in the prosperity gospel, how truth overwhelms a life built on lies. And Costi has been telling us a little bit about his story. He grew up the nephew of Benny Hinn, his father involved in the Crusades, Costi himself involved in the Crusades. And the Lord brought him out of that prosperity gospel movement. And I know a lot of people are wondering, Costi, what are things like now between you and your uncle Benny or your dad or some of the rest of the people in your family who remain in the prosperity gospel after you left it? Well, it's a mixture of victories and challenges. Um, It's what you would expect. My uncle and I, our relationship is is fractured. Um, Last time we spoke or saw each other was in 2016 uh, at my grandmother's funeral. And uh, he he knew and was aware of, of some of the stances I had taken and um, many, many conversations have happened behind closed doors within the family for years, um, including my late grandmother. I'm not the first to say this. Uh, she was warning for a while uh, behind the scenes, telling my uncle and, and my whole family to stay away from certain people, uh, not to teach certain things. <laughs> she had grown uncomfortable with it. And yet, as a mother, she loves her sons and loves her grandchildren, and and so tried to be encouraging at the same time while doing it. But, um, yeah, I it it's tough when when you got family and and you see Jesus's words in Matthew ten thirty four through thirty nine come to pass, where yeah. um, he's the dividing line, yeah. and whole households are divided over who he really is and what his true message was. So. Um, yeah, fractured there. And then with my dad and mom, I would say as well, victories and challenges. There's moments of breakthrough where we have these conversations about it. And, um, you know, they're they're talking about things really honestly and, and, and sharing openly. And th- those are great moments. I'm thankful as a son to have that dialogue. And, and then there's other things that are still preached and taught. Um, or, you know, somebody will send me a video of my father preaching somewhere and, and say, you know, I'm not sure what he what he's doing or whatnot. 
I'll watch it. And, and there's still things that are lingering over. So what I'm thankful for is open dialogue. What concerns me is that now, having been saved, like you and many of your listeners, we don't say this boastfully at all. We know what the grace of God really is, and we know what conversion and repentance really is. Yes. And once you've tasted that, you look at your friends and family and you go, no, 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 we're, that's not what it is. I, I thought it was that, too. Repentance is what happened to Zacchaeus. Repentance yeah. and transformation is what has happened in our hearts. When he takes over our lives, we let go of everything. I mean, we go public. We tell the whole world, Jesus saved me. I'm going the other way. It's a 180. So I find myself trying to navigate those conversations with my family without making railing indictments on their eternal destination, like saying, you know, you're guaranteed hell. I I try to say, you guys are going the wrong direction. You're you're not preaching a true gospel or... um, you know, I'll ask my parents or other family members, have you thought about the implications if you don't repent openly and truly, fully, and go the other way? And those are uncomfortable but but uh, deepening conversations. So like most people listening, I'm in the trenches with you. I'm trying to rescue family at the same time, uh, make sure that I'm faithful to my family and to my church to preach the truth and keep going uh, in, in the circle of believers that, that I'm a part of now. Very good. And we all will be praying for your family too, because, you know, as you were once deceived, we have to pray for people who are still, you know, going off and saying the prosperity gospel is really what the Bible teaches. And this is something, I mean, this is really the heart of your book, Costi, drawing the distinction between what so many millions of people are hanging on to, not just through your uncle Benny Hinn, but also all these other prosperity gospel preachers who are so famous and people see them on TV and buy their books all the time. The fundamental error of the prosperity gospel, I think you do a great job in your book of explaining what it is. You call it a dangerously abusive theology. Somebody listening might be, I don't know why they'd be listening to me, but if somebody embraces <laughs> the prosperity gospel and they happen to be tuning in right now and they say, oh, Hen, yeah, I know, I love Benny Hen. What would you say to that person about this dangerously abusive theology and how to correct that false understanding of the gospel of health, wealth, and suffering? I would say to those people, uh, I plead with them to surrender their hearts and their minds to the authority of Scripture rightly taught and do an exercise. Take all of the teachings of the prosperity gospel and then go and read the book and weigh my words and those parenthetical Bible verses that I put in there, weigh those words against the words of your favorite teacher. (laughs) And let the Holy Spirit lead and guide and decide. Because what happened to me was simple. It was like a T-chart. And on one side was everything I ever believed, and on the other side was what God's Word actually said. And it was the Holy Spirit's work in my heart that allowed me to see that. I would plead with people, you know, if I'm wrong or Janet's wrong or the book is wrong, then let then fine, we're wrong. But let God's Word prove that to you. And I would guarantee that if we're really honest and we come into submission to the Holy Spirit and to God's Word and its authority and power, we'll see that much of what we believe in the prosperity gospel is not what God's Word is actually saying. And then run to the nearest Bible church, 
email me, call into Janet's show, do whatever you must to get to safety. And I hope and pray, and I know there'll be believers ready to walk with you, gather you in, and the Lord will put your feet on solid ground. Oh, that's really well said. And you have a section, your whole chapter on a dangerously abusive theology goes into some of these important points that the prosperity gospel demeans Jesus Christ, it twists scripture. And one you mentioned, which I think is so important, the prosperity gospel is motivated by love for money. How important Mm. is the money point to all of this? It's huge. The prosperity gospel is a get-rich scheme. The goal is to have a lot of stuff. The goal is to be rich and powerful. And we see in the Bible that the love of that, the desire for riches, the greed that drives these teachers is actually the very thing that seals their fate. And it leads to destruction for all of us when we're chasing greed. Uh, Proverbs gives such great wisdom not to, not to pursue or chase wealth and give it all your energy and effort because wealth has wings. And we all would say it like this, money comes and goes. And so if you're wealthy, it's a responsibility. It's not a sin. Many wealthy people are gospel patrons, and they are blessed to be a blessing, and the Lord uses them to that regard. But if you're poor, it doesn't mean God's mad at you either. We need to be taking care of the poor, and those who are wealthy need to be active in gospel service, using their resources to further the gospel. So we need balance in that area. And there's a chapter in the book dedicated to that as well. Right. And for those who say, I've been trusting God to heal me for all these years, I've given so much money to these TV preachers because I'm hoping and trusting God for my miracle. And my miracle hasn't come. And I'm about to walk away from Jesus because we had a deal and he didn't deliver. What do you say about suffering? Because clearly you have to understand the doctrine of sin, the fall of man, the role of suffering in the Christian life. That doesn't have much of a place in the prosperity gospel scene. But speak briefly to that issue of suffering and and how God uses suffering and how God never promised to heal us on earth, everybody, every time. Absolutely. Yeah. Healing and, and no more pain and no more suffering is all fully realized one day in eternity where there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness. And we're human beings, so we get caught up in our little 70 years, our our snapshot uh, throughout history, our, our tiny molecule of existence. When we look at it in light of eternity, that's what it is. It's a tiny molecule. Yes. I'm here, I'm gone. Janet, you're here, then you're gone. We're like a vapor. Yep. And we get caught looking at our life with this short-sighted view, when in reality... Eternity is forever. It's infinity. It's infinite. It never ends. So the glories to come so vastly outweigh whatever temporal pleasures we can come up with or chase here on earth. But it's hard because we're human. We do have needs and we do have desires. I would say this to those people. There is nothing in the Bible that says you cannot pray for God to heal you. We ought to pray, but, or end. I look at how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, oh, if possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. The cup of suffering was coming. The Lord in his humanity was feeling that weight. And then what does he say after he asks for relief? He says, but not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. We need to pray the will of God. Yep. Lord, have your way. Think of Johnny Erickson Tata. Yes. Uh, of all the people in the world, she should get healed if the prosperity gospel is real. She's got faith. Yep. She is uh, bold in that faith. 
but God is still with us in our suffering. So we need to trust him that his ways are good and above ours, even when that's difficult. Oh, it's perfect. Costi Hint, God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. Check him out at forthegospel.org. Costi, an honor to talk to you, brother. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Janet. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.